Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Greetings and salutations to everybody out there on podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back at you from a laundry room at the Florida Panhandle, into your headphones, your car speakers, your laptop speakers, mobile devices, and anything else you may be listening to this podcast from. I thank you very much. On this episode, I'm going to be covering the 2021 Olympic Games specific to the sport of judo. And if you're interested in listening to the results of the decathlon, the gymnastics routine, water polo, whatever the case may be, you got the wrong episode, my friend. This episode is going to be all about judo, and I can't wait to deep dive into the great action that we saw over the past week. So without any further delay, let's get right to it. Judo at the 2021 Olympic Games taking place at the Nippon Budokan, which is where the very first Olympic Judo competition was held in 1964. And let me tell you, I'm glad that they went back to this venue, not because I have any personal experience with it per se, but there is a lot of history at this venue. There's a lot of Judo history at this venue. And I felt that it just felt right to use this venue again for the 2021 Olympics taking place in Tokyo, Japan, in case you're not paying attention. I think to have the Olympics, the the judo contest take place anywhere else wouldn't have had the same feel, especially when there hasn't been any crowds to observe uh, the the action that took place on the tatami, which the elevated tatami, which is just a, a, a nice characteristic and a nice holdover from the tradition of years past. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people would agree with me with that sentiment with regards to having this competition at the Nippon Budokan because, you know, for myself there's a, and, and other people, there's an emotional attachment to certain buildings that great events have happened you know for myself like i said i've never been to the nippon budokan 
But I've been to sporting events in classic venues, like for myself growing up in New England. I went to watch a lot of Boston Celtics games at the at the old Boston Garden. I've watched a lot of Red Sox games at Fenway Park. There's something about watching uh, a sport of yours that you that's a favorite at at a, an original venue and. The Nippon Budokan does not get any more original than that in terms of a sports venue for judo. Now, before I talk about the results and all the action that took place throughout the week during the Olympics, I need to get something off my chest here. NBC Peacock sucks. And NBC's coverage of the Olympics suck. Now, for those of you outside of the United States, I'm sure you've probably heard of NBC just like I've heard of, you know, the BBC but in my opinion, in the 21st century, it should not be very difficult for NBC Universal to stream every single event on their streaming app, which is what I pay for. And I should be able to choose which sports that I want to watch. I don't need Dick Eppersall and all the CEOs and all the rest of the suits at NBC telling me what I should be interested in watching. It's it, NBC has really blown this coverage, especially with the pandemic. And what I mean by that is that you have a really good opportunity to get a lot of eyeballs onto your product and onto the Olympics. And from my understanding, the ratings have been historically low. Maybe not the worst ever, but but certainly the worst in quite some time. So for me, I had to pay I paid I pay for Peacock, the, the app, but I had to use a VPN and I had to use other sites from around the world to catch uh, to catch the action. Not only the live action, but the replays that I really had to depend on. The only time I watched it live, there was a couple of evenings that I watched it live. But it's so late for me to get to the final block. I have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to watch the final block. And that's something that I just can't do uh, every single day during the Olympic week. So I've had to rely on some replays. And I had to use my VPN to connect to other countries that have this stuff. And you know, I, I do what I got to do to be able to to report on this and, and to dish my thoughts because I know a lot of you people listen to my podcast, which I greatly appreciate. And NBC's selective coverage makes it difficult for me to do my little part-time job here. And you know, another thing I'd like to get out of the way, the actual coverage of the judo events was not nearly as good as what the IJF does on a regular basis. And I'm sure many of you listening observe this as well if you if you regularly watch the IJF. The infographic on the top left corner of the screen that's showing the score, it, it just was not very good. I, I really thought they should have had the, the contestants' uh, last names up there. I just thought... I don't know why they reinvented the wheel here. They should have just done what the IJF has been doing for years in in how they cover the sport. Now, like I said before, because I had to use a VPN, I had to use different countries to uh, watch the action. Some of them from some evenings I I used uh, the Japanese coverage. So I had to listen to the Japanese uh, announcers, you know, cover the events, which I understood very little. Uh, but one thing I did understand is that even in Japan, they still call Seoi Yatoshi Seoi Nagi. I just can't win there, can I? But some of the English-speaking, the English-based uh, announcing crews had Neil Adams, and thank God, because he really covered the action on the tatami quite well, as he always does. 
Now, one thing that I want to cover before I, I get to the results again, I know I just said that, but I, there's a couple things I want to get out of the way before I get to the results. I know that I'm going to have a lot of new listeners to this podcast because I'm seeing a, a, a significant uh, jump in interest in judo when it comes to these Olympic Games. For example, on Reddit, there are hundreds upon hundreds of people storming and uh, in, in, in commenting and storming the boards talking, talking judo, which is a fantastic thing. I think I've seen as much as 800 people at one time commenting, which for our subreddit on there, that's a lot of people. Usually there's about 100, sometimes 200, but I've seen uh, very close to 800. There's probably been more than 800 at one time, just at a time that I wasn't reading uh, that, that judo subreddit. And as it usually goes every four years, if I were to look at the Google Trends data, I'm certain that judo is dominating Brazilian jiu-jitsu and other grappling sports. Uh, well, maybe not wrestling, but certainly when it comes to judo versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I hate saying that out loud. But when it comes to the interest in English-speaking-based countries, there's usually a, a significant spike in interest around the Olympics, and, and this time should be no exception. So getting that out of the way for the new listeners checking out my podcast for the first time, I thank you very much. I want to let you all know what I typically do is start off at the lightweight categories and go on to the heavyweight categories. I usually dish out my opinions on what I thought of the matches, on how I thought the matches were called, etc., etc. And hopefully I can give you all a little bit of insight on how I view judo because I saw a lot of posts on Reddit and comments on other places on social media. With some people not in the know, you know, saying things like they thought the action was not very good, a lot of stopping and starting, not enough groundwork, you know, that that kind of thing. And we as judoka sometimes forget that we have a critical eye to understanding how high-level competition judo works. And it's not the same that you see in your local club, Rondori, for example. You know, I saw posts saying like, well, why didn't they just go for the bow and arrow choke there? Why didn't they just go for the arm bar? Why did the ref stop them so soon and, and this kind of thing? And, you know, what a lot of, for those new to following the sport, you got to understand that at this highest, at the highest level of competition and the Olympics is the epitome of all of that. All of these athletes have worked their entire lives to get to this very moment and their coaches and their national governing body and Everybody involved in supporting an athlete, they come up with a game plan for each and every single competitor that they face. So nobody is going to out there is going to throw caution to the wind and try something that goes against the game plan that they have established to go against, you know, to try and win a gold medal. As viewers, we just can't look at this with the same context as a local or even a national tournament and, and apply the same expectations that you would have for the Olympic Games. So for myself, as somebody with, a, with an experienced and critical eye in watching judo, as I have been, especially over the past really five years, I saw a lot of great judo, I saw a lot of great action, and I saw a lot of great drama unfolding onto the tatami. So with that, I want to start with the under 48 kilo division. Now, I want to make one thing clear before I continue with this division and the other divisions as well. I only cover the final block on this podcast because if I did that, if I covered every single match, 
you know, the, the round of 32 and everything along those lines, the first and second rounds, like this podcast would end up being six hours and I'm not going to torture you guys with a six hour podcast. So the under 48 kilo uh, gold medal match was between Distria Krasniki of Kosovo versus Tonaki Funa of Japan. And this is Tonaki's big chance to put Japan on the board for a gold medal in these Olympics. Now, about halfway through the match, uh, this is an interesting Nawaza sequence as Tonaki is attempting to turn Krasniki for uh, over for Osaikomi, but then she's defending the turnover by laying flat in uh, Tonaki's guard. The the referee is is letting this go for seemingly ten seconds before calling Mate. And as I'm watching this unfold, I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, if only Olympians learn how to do the scissor sweep from guard like BJJ invented. I'm kidding about that. Actually, Krasniki's defense was quite stellar in that in that particular situation. Now, as the match is continuing on, I'm seeing that Krasniki is getting a really great angle for Uchimata, but Tonaki is defending it very well. And this has just really become an excellent left versus right match with a lot of great movement. And Krasniki gets an Uchimata for Wazari. And I couldn't believe it with 22 seconds to go into uh, in regulation. And by the time Mate is called uh, after a Nawaza sequence, there's only six seconds left in the match. And Kosovo ends up getting the gold medal in this division. So Tonaki stonewalled there. And I got to I gotta believe there's a great sense of disappointment for her, and one thing I wanted to point out here, the emotion that all of these athletes had uh, throughout these particular games, throughout these these uh, gold medal matches, bronze medal matches, it's as if the weight of their entire country is on their shoulder. And once the match is over, most of them just pretty much broke down into tears and just just either tears of joy or or maybe tears of disappointment, whatever the case may be. And it's just really interesting uh, for me to see the emotion of some of the more favorites that's supposed to be that they thought were going to be in a gold medal match, but ended up in the bronze medal contests instead. And that's going to take me to the under 48 kilo bronze medal uh, contest between Daria Biludit of Ukraine versus Shira Rishoni of Israel. Now, personally, I predicted Biludit to not only be in the final, but also to win gold in these Olympics. She's just been a remarkably strong player over the past few years. But Bielodid ended up losing to uh, Tonaki Funa in the semifinal, which placed her right into these bronze medal matches. And as the match starts off, it almost, just like I was talking about with the emotion, it almost looks like uh, Daria is pretty pissed off to be in this bronze medal contest. I mean, she, she, she's either really upset or really disappointed or maybe a combination of both. And much like every other match that I've seen Bilo did in, she's really excellent at using her height advantage in this division. She's just a head taller than just about everybody else in that under 48 kilo division. Now, as the match unfolds right around the two-minute mark, Bilodid pushes the Nawaza and hooks in a classic Sankakujime from the opponent's front turtle position. But uh, Rishoni survives that. I really thought... Um, the, the choke was going to get uh, sank in there, but the ref eventually calls Mate. And in the closing seconds of regulation, Abilodid manages to get Rishoni to the ground by turning over, turning over her attack. And she gets an Ipon with zero seconds remaining for her first Olympic bronze. She does it in Osaikomi. And this was one of those rare situations where the, where the timer for Osaikomi... Uh, 
continues on long after the time for regulation ends. So Daria Biludid gets her first Olympic medal. It's a bronze medal. She should be very proud of that. All of Ukraine should be very proud of her as well. Now, uh, Israel, just just a little uh, preface here. In terms of the individual divisions, Israel did not have a good day in my opinion. Or really a good week. But they did end up uh, finishing the, the entire week of, of judo events strong. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But the individual performances... Very surprised. Uh, no, no medals for Israel, and they've been one of my favorite teams to watch. They've been one of the strongest teams uh, over the past few years. I, I expected at least a bronze medal from somebody representing Israel, and it didn't happen. And in the other bronze medal match in, in the under forty-eight kilo division, it was between uh, Katarina Costa of Portugal versus Munkbat of Mongolia. Now, the referee is allowing a lot of Nawaza in this match, and uh, Munkbot manages to secure a Jujigatami after the referee allows her to progress for 57 seconds in Nawaza. And let me tell you, I don't ever want to hear anybody tell me again that there isn't enough time given in Nawaza in Judo. The referees at this level will allow you to fight for four minutes on the ground as long as there's active progression and continuation. And really, it was just brilliant work on the part of Munkbot. And kudos to the referee for allowing that to unfold. You know, I want to get this out of the way now. I saw a lot of people complaining online, um, whether in Facebook groups or on Reddit and, and you know maybe other places like Twitter, complaining about the referee's judgment, complaining about the amount of time given on the ground in the Waza. And, and I just want to say... At least for the final block matches that I watched, all of the final block matches, I really felt most of the matches were were called correctly. There weren't bad calls all over the place. I thought the refs did a good job as they have always been doing this entire Olympic cycle over the past four or five years. Now, there is some refereeing issues that I want to get out of the way, but I don't really believe it's a refereeing issue. It's rule issues, but I'm going to talk about that. I'm not going to get that out of the way now. I'm going to talk about that uh, later. But I just thought it was great on the rest part to allow Nawaza for 57 seconds. I mean, that's that's 20, almost 25% of, a, of regulation in judo. That's a lot of time. Now, even though I give a lot of kudos to the referees on the IJF World Tour, um... In this next match, I didn't I didn't like how this match ended. The under 60 kilo gold medal contest between Takato Naohisa of Japan versus Yang Youngwei of Chinese Taipei. Now, just as a side note, I was really impressed. I remember watching Yang earlier this year. I can't remember which particular Grand Slam or Grand Prix event it was, but I was really impressed with his judo. So I shouldn't. I, I'm not very surprised to see him in this position. I really thought it would have been somebody else. I figured that Yang would have been at least uh, vying for a bronze medal contest, but here he is going for gold. So this ends up being a pretty uh, pretty even match after two minutes, but both uh, both men end up picking up a shido around the 137 mark. Really nice defense by Yang, using his head to prevent Takato from attacking. But he ends up getting a second Shido for, Shido for being a little bit too defensive. Which I'm okay with that call in, in that position there. The match ends up going to Golden Score and Yang is pleading for a Shido on Takato after a drop attack. And I think he's got a case there, but the ref doesn't see it that way. 
two minutes and ten seconds into the uh, into the golden score, and Yang is really going for it in the Waza, but Mate is called. Uh, Mate, excuse me. Now, here's the issue that I had in this particular match. Yang is called for his third Shido for being two defenses, and I don't really agree with the call at all. And and I don't know. To, to me, in that situation, it almost looked like a hometown call to me. I hate I hate saying that. I suppose... One could argue in that posi- uh, in that situation that Yang in Yang's position in that exchange he could have prevented or would have prevented either men from attacking just the way that his forearm was against Takato's side. I I don't know. I did not like that call at all, and I don't think a gold medal contest should be called in um, Hansukumaki for for that kind of infringement. I think you got to let that go one at least one more time. But Takato ends up winning uh, Japan's first gold medal in judo and, if I'm not mistaken, in the Olympic Games at this point of time. Moving on to the under 60 kilo bronze medal contest. Uh, the one that I watched in order, it was Yeldov Smetov of Kazakhstan against Tornike Jakoda of the Netherlands. Hopefully I got that last name right. And, you know, truth be told, I'm not very familiar with Jakoda's game. I know, I've, I'm sure I've watched his matches over the years. But boy, it's it seems like it's been a long time. I I just I'm not very familiar with him to be honest with you. Now around the 130 mark, Jakoda ends seems to be stalling. But to my surprise, it was Smetov that ends up getting his second Shido. And I I was a little confused by that call. I was I thought for sure Jakoda was the one that was going to get the Shido there. And he's putting on the pressure at the end of the match to 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 get it to golden score. And I think he was trying to to invoke a, a third Shido uh, on Smetov. Now in Golden Score, Jakoda ends, uh, continues to put on the pressure with a fantastic display of Renraku uh, Renraku Waza combination techniques. Uh, Smetov is clearly very tired after having an earlier match where the Golden Score went a very long time for him. If I'm not mistaken, went close to 11 minutes, and it certainly looks like he's he's gassing out a bit. Now, this was an interesting exchange to end the contest. Jakoda goes for a Yoko Otoshi, but Smetov dives forward and gets him on his back, and that was enough for him. The refs asked for a video review to confirm it, and yes, it was a Wazari. I I thought it was a Wazari at first. I, I just wasn't sure. I know the ref went to video review for a reason, and and the judges on the side said, yeah, that's, that's a good call. It's a Wazari, and Smetov ends up winning bronze. And in the other, in the other under sixty kilo match, you have Luca Keitse of France uh, versus Kim of Korea. And my initial impressions of this: it was a lot of great action in this match. And even after three minutes of action, no Shido on either side. It's just, just constant back and forth. It was strong attacks by both men. Uh, have kept the ref from calling a Shido on any, on either of them. Now, with twenty-seven seconds left to go, Kim finally picks up a Shido. But but the match goes into golden score. Kahitze uh, nearly gets a Juji Katami one thirty uh, minute and thirty six seconds into golden score, and a long overdue Shido is finally given to Kim. Uh, a, a, about a minute later, forty five seconds later, at around the two sixteen mark, I thought up to this point the Frenchman was really putting on the pressure in 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 more of a uh, significant fashion than Kim was. So. That's why I thought the Shido was long overdue. And boy, Kahitse is really putting on the pressure with the attacks. And Kim is doing nothing to push his own pace. 
And he ends up getting a third uh, third Shido for Hansokumaki and Kahitse wins bronze. Now, unlike the gold medal contest in the under 60 kilo division, I thought the Hansokumaki for, for passivity or, or stalling or whatever the case may be, being too defensive, I thought it was the right call here. I'm okay with the Hansokumaki here in golden score for the bronze. Now, moving on to day two which features the under 52 kilo divisions and the under 66 kilo division. I'm going to start with the ladies. The under 52 kilo final was an incredible bout between Armadine Bouchard of France versus Abe Uta of Japan. And look, I think I've said this several times. I fully expected Abe to be in this in this final match. And I think I've been predicting this entire time that she would win the gold medal in this division for the Olympics. But Bouchard is no slouch, and, and and she really did a great job in this match. The referee really let them go when it came to Nawaza opportunities. I thought the, I thought the referee called the Nawaza perfectly in this match. Bouchard seemed to have a solid game plan, uh, game plan going up against Abe, and there were times that that Abe seemed visibly annoyed to me, even though even if it was only for a little bit. It just seemed like Bouchard just really they, they the the French team and and Bouchard and her coaches had a really good plan to try and win this match, and Bouchard was constantly keeping up the pressure. Now here's the weird thing to me about this gold medal match and Bouchard's approach. For as great as she was on this day, she seemed to not be very defensive in certain Nawaza sequences for the entire uh, during this match and. It was almost as if she forgot that she could lose via Nawaza. And she paid the price for it in Golden Score. And what I mean by that is that Bouchard was in a turtle position where it seemed that she th- as if she thought Mate was, call- was going to be called. I'm sure you, many of you have seen that you know certain players just kind of stick it out in turtle position waiting for the Mate. Well, Abe just doesn't let up. She's relentless and she gets her on her back uh, for Osai Komi by sheer will of force. And she gets the Wazari and Abe wins gold here. That's Japan's second gold medal. And I tell you what, I really thought this was a very close match. And I really thought that just the way Bouchard was fighting that she could have had a chance for gold here. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but it just seemed that there was a lapse of, of judgment just in that last Nawaza sequence. And unfortunately for Bouchard, she she paid the price for it. But Look, a silver medal is is a wonderful accomplishment for her. So great match. I I tell you what, most of the gold medal matches that I watched were just phenomenal. It was everything that I hoped for, and this match was no exception. This is this was a quality, high quality match. And if you guys haven't seen any of these matches, you know once NBC or or whoever uh, re- releases the highlights or, or the replays, I highly recommend if you missed it. Go back and watch it again. It's really well worth it. Now, in the one uh, one of the under fifty two kilo bronze medal matches, you had Odette uh, Jufrida of Italy against Reka Pup of uh, Hungary. Maybe it's Pup. Uh, Pup manages to she man, Pup managed to defeat, to defeat Majlinda Kelmendi and Angela Delgado of Team USA, uh, as well as a few others to get here. And I don't know if uh, you guys saw it, but. Majlinda Kelmendi uh, announced her retirement uh, from judo the following day, and and she really paved the way for Kosovo judo. And honestly, if it wasn't for Kelmendi, I'm not sure if um, if that program is is where it's at today for somebody like the Distrio Krasniki to also win a gold medal. 
So Kosovo is really on the up and up here in terms of their judo program. It's really good for them, especially for such a small country, you know. So back to the Giuffrida uh, versus Pup match. This match ends up going into Golden Score where, where Giuffrida ends up winning with a reverse Sayanagi for Ripon. I, I tell you what, she's got one of the best ones that I've ever seen on the tour. And just a really impressive victory. Even though I must say that the Pup was a bit matched here. Maybe just one of those situations where you, she was kind of a little lucky to get there. And I hate saying that because I'm not really trying to take away from her skill set. It just seemed like throughout this match, even though it went to golden score, that uh, Giuffrida was was clearly the, the better player here. And in the other 52-kilo uh, bronze medal match, you had uh, Chelsea Giles of Great Britain versus uh, Fabienne Kotcher of Switzerland. Now, before I get to some of the highlights, can, can anybody help me out and explain to me why... Uh, Kotcher does not have a proper back patch in these Olympic Games, or at least in that final. Did her judogi get torn in some way and she had to borrow somebody else's? That would be my guess. But if anybody knows, please let me know. Um, A fantastic counter of Kotcher's attack by Giles at the two-minute mark that earns her a Wazari. And a minute later, Giles gets a Wazari. I was set to Ipon with another beautiful attack. I must say, I haven't seen Chelsea Giles fight in a while, so I was really impressed with her judo. Gives uh, Great Britain their first medal in these games, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I don't think they earned a medal up to this point on this day, on day two, in any other sport. Now, moving on to the under 66 kilo division, where the gold medal contest featured a player that I've been saying uh, was going to be in the final. It was is. As sure as the sun rises in the east, Abe Hufumi was going to be in this gold medal final. There was just no way he was not going to be in this final. And he goes up against Vajha Margarelashvili of Georgia. A huge Osotogari by Abe for Wazari with close to two minutes to go in regulation. That angle looked really rough for Margarelashvili. Because I, you, you know, that left versus right angle where you come across and many people's knees get torn up at, at that angle. Well, it, it kind of looked like that to me. The action was really amazing in this match, and I'm stunned Abe didn't choose to rack up a couple of Shido or uh, to extend time to just kind of let the match drag out. But he was very aggressive throughout this attack, uh, entire match, all the way to the very end, just continually attacking. And that Osotogari that he gets with for Wazari at two minutes uh, ends up being enough for a gold medal. So that's a gold medal for the Abe siblings. So congratulations to them making Olympic history as the first brother and sister to win Olympic gold in the same Olympics on the same day. Just really fantastic stuff. And and again, I would like to add that ultimately Abe uh, Hifumi proved that he deserved to be the representative for Japan in the under 66 kilo division. I know there was a big debate of uh, Maruyama versus Abe. In my mind, I felt this should have been Abe the entire time. I didn't think they really needed to have a, you know, the the one versus one for the spot, the final spot on that under 66 kilo division. It was great to watch in December, but that particular match ended the way that I thought. And these Olympics in the under 66 kilo division uh, for the gold medal contest ex- ended exactly the way that I thought it was going to end. Now, moving on to the bronze medal contest. It- you had Anbal of Korea, who won the silver medal back in the 2016 Games in Rio. 
He defeats Manuel Lombardo of Italy with a Sayori Otoshi. At the end of it, Ambao is comp- uh, is overcome with emotion after the victory. I I think he's had a pretty rough year. I know he was suspended um, during this Olympic cycle for not uh, doing. I I believe it was mandatory uh, public service, whether that's military or or community service hours or things along that line. And in South Korea, that I I believe it's mandatory. So. He, he skipped it. I think he was one of those, oh, my dog ate my homework type deals, and he didn't get away with it. So he was out of comp- uh, competing for a while. But he's very overcome with emotion, as many of these athletes have been, like I already said that before. So congratulations to An Bao. In the other under 66 kilo bronze medal contest, you had uh, Baruch Shmailov of Israel against uh, Daniel Cargnin of Brazil. At the 2:30 mark, I'm not a fan of that Wazari call at all, and I'm not I'm not sure what to call that technique either. Shmailov looks visibly upset, and kind of resorts to what I call consider boorish actions. It's hard to describe unless you actually watched it, but he I don't know. Throughout after that Wazari call, uh, Shmailov managed to pop. Uh, Cargnin in the face and then as he's after Amate as he's walking by he kind of gives him the the rough shoulder I kind of a little surprised to see it uh it does it kind of with the ref behind him so there I don't think the ref really saw it but to me there's such a big mat area and to kind of just kind of you know hit your shoulder against the other guy's shoulder I I don't I don't like seeing that at all I don't know if it was deliberate it certainly looked deliberate to me but whatever this match eventually had to pause because when he got popped in the face by Shmailov, uh Kargnin had to step off the mat to, uh, to stop the bleeding. So, uh, and, and now here's kind of a controversial thing with this match. There was a near Waki Gatami by Kargnin against Shmailov, and I really thought they were going to call it, and I was surprised to see that they did not call it. It was just... I, I, I mean, I'm sure Cargnin did not uh, mean to do a Wakigatami attempt, but it it I thought that they could have called it right there. And quite frankly, uh, the, the match ends with Cargnin winning, uh, winning the bronze medal. And uh, again, Israel skunked again in a bronze medal match. Now, seeing how this match went, it would not surprise me if Israel makes some sort of formal complaint about that match. Uh, not only for the Waki Gatami, but I really thought Shmailov managed to get a score on Kargnin with about 43 seconds left to go in regulation. They didn't call it. I thought they could have called a score. I've seen scores like that called in, in other situations. You'd have to watch it. So Kargnin wins bronze for Brazil. Congratulations to him. Now for day three, I want to start with the under 57 kilo division for the gold medal match. Which was a contest between Sarah Leone Sisik of France uh, against Nora Jakova of Kosovo. And I got to tell you, both ladies were very aggressive right from the Hajime. And I really love seeing that in a final. I'm not, I'm not particularly a big fan of, of, of watching uh, uh, two players you know, feel each other out, trying to figure each other out, that kind of thing. Both are trying to impose their will at the same time. And I love that. I love that in a final. Especially on the biggest stage, which is incredible to see. About two minutes in, and the action is really exciting. And and I got to tell you, it's one of those. It really, you're sitting on the edge of your seat throughout this entire match. It's fantastic. 
And not only that, this match kind of highlights exactly why I love watching opposite-sided players fight each other because it's just the exchange of techniques. Who's going to get what kind of advantage? How, how are they going to take advantage of the, of the extreme angles and things like that? Now, unfortunately, with this match, during regulation, Sisik attempts an Uchimata and somehow she gets rolled onto the back of her neck by Jakova. And the really surprising thing to me about this, well, apart from the fact that her neck got slightly injured, you could tell that she was she was in some discomfort at the very least, is that Sazik was called for a Hansoku Maki for head diving. Now, I don't know if the referee called for a video review or somebody on the sides, one of the officials on the sides told the referee to call a Hansoku Maki. I don't know if that was the case. I thought this was a terrible call. I did not see the referee on on the video make a request for a replay. So I have no idea if he actually made a formal request and and the the judges on the side uh, told him to call it a a Hansokumaki. I completely disagree with the call. Sezik was going in for for an Uchimata and Jakova just turned her over onto her neck in a defensive movement. And when I see things like this, you know, it's always a shame when you see it at the highest levels at a Grand Prix or a Grand Slam event. But at the Olympic final, that's just a really bad call. I I just think you got to make sure you get these calls right before you call a Hansukumaki on something like that. Now, I'm sure many of you will say that, well, she head dove. I, I just don't. When she landed on the back of her head, it was I did not think it was part of the movement of the throw. And you all are welcome to disagree. And hey, that's what makes this thing fun, right? You know, I see things a certain way. You guys see see, see things a certain way. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. But um, boy, in this case, I I just simply disagree with the call. And and I make it a habit uh, and make it a point to make sure that I believe the referees are excellent 99% of the time. I think they they I think this was a bad one here, unfortunately for Sizik. So Nora Jakova of Kosovo gets her gold medal, the second gold medal of this Olympic tournament. And Sarah Leone Sasik gets her silver medal, which she should be very proud of that. She had a, she's had an excellent year. I believe she's ranked uh, uh, sixth going into these Olympics. And, and she certainly proved her case why she, should, she belongs. Now, somebody else in the bronze medal contest, and one of the bronze medal contests that I also believe proved her case that she belonged to the Olympics, was Jessica Klimkate versus Kaja Kaiser of Slovenia. Now, Jessica Klimkate represents Canada, and I talked about her a couple of weeks ago when she won the World Championships. There had been a debate for years, well, maybe not years, but certainly within the past year, whether it should be Krista Deguchi or whether it should be Jessica Klimkate going to represent Judo Canada in the Olympics. And you know what? At the end of the day, I, I, you know, I questioned how Judo Canada handled this, but I thought... Jessica made her case that she belonged and she made it to the bronze medal match. I, I think in the previous uh, qualifying match, uh, she, she made a mistake that cost her an opportunity to get into the final. But listen, it's not as if she got bounced out in the round of 32 here in the Olympics. She made it to a medal and she won. She defeated Kajer of Slovenia. Now, I was surprised that Klim Kate did not win uh, via Kajer's uh, Shidos because... She had racked up a couple of Shidos heading into Golden Score. And honestly, right before Golden Score, I think the referee should have called 
a, a passi- passivity passivity Shido on Kajer and she didn't. But it doesn't matter because in Golden Score, Klim Kate manages to throw with Sayanagi for the Wazari in the win. Really impressive effort by Klim Kate. I thought she really dominated this entire match. She was just she was just too much for the Slovenian. So congratulations to Klim Kate and to Judo Canada. And again, had Krista Deguchi been sent to the Olympics, there's, there's no telling that there's no saying that she would have done so much better in, in this situation. And I recall saying in my last uh, in my last episode that if Klim Kate doesn't earn a medal, then then this debate of Deguchi versus Klim Kate would have been going on for years to come. But that there shouldn't be any sort of debate, in my opinion. Now, speaking of opinions, I do have an opinion on world champions within Olympic cycle and the Olympics uh, or going to the Olympics. But I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up a little bit later. Um. But I want to continue on to the other bronze medal contest in the under 57 kilo division, which was between uh, Yoshida Tsukasa of Japan against Eteri Lepertiliani of Georgia. Now, Yoshida gets a, a really impressive Uchimata with a little bit more than a minute into the contest. And quite frankly, I'm a little bit surprised she, she was not awarded a, an upon in this situation. And about 30 seconds later, she throws with... Another Uchimata where she got no score. And then with about 44 seconds left in regulation, she throws her third Uchimata and gets the Wazari Awaseti Ipon. And you know, it seemed it seemed evident to me that, that Yoshida expected to be in the final, but it didn't really work out for her that way. She completely outclassed uh, Lipertiliani in this match. I mean, there was just, the it wasn't, it wasn't even close in my opinion. Whether, whether that's a failure of a game plan or just such a gap in skill, I don't know. But either way, congratulations to Yoshida here. Now moving on to the under 73 kilo gold medal match. And quite frankly, this is one of those situations where the final did not surprise me one bit in terms of who was in there. Ono Shoei of Japan versus Lasha Shavdatuashvili of Georgia. Now Shavdatuashvili is the current number one ranked judoka and Ono is really in the opinion of many uh, the best judoka on the planet right now. And I must say with this match, Ono looked very prepared for Shavdatuashvili. And listen, I know all coaches prepare their athletes for for their for their opponents. At least one would hope, but sometimes it's very evident to me when I see a specific game plan to try and shut down the other person's strengths. And conversely, I must say that that Shavdatuashvili had a gripping strategy that I felt neutralized a lot of Ono's strengths, in my opinion. So I got to say that the the match heading into Golden Score because there was no score during regulation. This match looked to me exactly what I would expect an Olympic gold medal final to look like in the under 73 kilo division. This did not disappoint to me. This did not disappoint me at all. I mean, in golden score, both of these men were just going really hard at each other. And it, it what's really interesting to me is that even though many consider Shohei Ono the best judoka currently in the world, and some people even argue the best ever, Boy, that skill gap between himself and, and Shavdat Tuishvili is it's so minimal, it's almost non-existent. I mean, these men are just so close in skill, so close in tactics. It, it's just really a beautiful thing to see. 
Now, Ono manages to rack up a couple of Shidos in Golden Score, and this is where he really starts putting on the pressure with a series of Osotogari attacks against uh, Shabda Tuishvili. And in one sequence, he was so close to, he got him off of his feet, uh, but for, for no score. And Shavdat Tuishvili adjusts to those Osotogari attacks because now he sees that as a as a legitimate threat. As as that throw was always there for Ono, but he was really getting into into that throw pretty deep. And I'm surprised he didn't throw in the throw him with the first couple of attacks. Now, five minutes of basically breaking down Shavdat Tuishvili, Ono manages to score with a Sase Surikomi Ashi for a Wazari. And I got to tell you what, I'm a little surprised that they didn't call it pawn here because of, of continuation. It was a solid throw and, and a gold, another gold medal, Olympic gold medal for Ono. So he is now your two-time Olympic gold medal winner. And like I said, you know, many people consider Ono the, the, the greatest of all time. Even his own coach, uh, Kose Hinui, who many consider the greatest of all time, can said that Ono is the greatest. Now, in the one bronze medal contest, you had Rustam Orzhov of Azerbaijan, who I thought maybe had a very good chance of getting into the final. He was up against Anchan Grim of Korea. And let me tell you, this match ended with a really horrible call. Again, I hate throwing refs under the bus, but this was really a horrible call. And, and I, I, you know, I'm going to save it now. I'm going to say it now. I'm not even going to wait till my post-Olympic uh, thoughts to get this out of my way. The IJF needs to do something about the way Wazari uh, is called. I mean, for starters, I really hate the 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 no call continuation into a rolling Wazari. But listen, if you land on your side and most of your body is in the front of your body is facing the floor, that should not be a Wazari. I can live with a Wazari if you're landing on your side. But a wazari should be at the very least. You're either you're landing on your side with your back angled to the tatami. It, you're, if your front is angled to the tatami, that that that's not a wazari. It, it shouldn't be called a wazari. And and again, you, you when you have such a bad call at at the most prestigious judo tournament for an Olympic medal, you can't make these calls. It, it's just it's a bad call. I I, I can't stand seeing that. Yeah, I'm sure I sound like a guy that lost a lot of money on this fight. I, I did not. I did not gamble on these Olympics. I just come here to watch good judo and, and good action and proper calls. And, and when I don't get that, it, it's it just really, it's it's really, I, I hate seeing it. So congratulations to Anchan Grim of Korea in the, in the other under 73 kilo match. This was a really odd one to me. Arthur, Arthur Mark Geladon of Canada uh, against... Uh, Sogbatar Sendochir of Mongolia. And I don't know I don't know what it is about Margelodon, but he looks like a guy that either doesn't want to be out there or he's the most relaxed dude in the entire Olympics. Either way, the way that he performed in this particular contest, both statements can be true at the same time. Because Sendochir gets a Juji Katami 32 seconds into their contest. And the odd thing is that the way that Margelodon was defending that Juji Gatami, it almost helped Sandochir get that win. Now listen, Canada, you know I love you all. And I was really looking forward to this match, so I'm not being cri- critical of, of Margelodon here. It's, you know, he's a tremendous player. He's one of the best in the world. I was really looking forward to another dynamic match, just like I saw in the, 
in the under 73 kilo final. But this did just not go the way that I expected it to go. 32 seconds in and in a win for a bronze medal. So congratulations to Sendo Cheer. I mean, very, very deserving here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Day four featured the under 63 kilo division and the under 81 kilo division. So I'm going to start with the under 63 kilo division at the gold medal contest. And listen, the under 63 kilo final was no surprise to me at, a, at all. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to any of you that have been watching judo over the past four to five years. This was the final that everybody wanted. It was the rematch of the 2016 final in the under 63 kilo division featuring Clarice Egbegnenu of France against, against Tina Turstenyak of Slovenia. Now, for those of you who may not know or may not recall, uh, Turstenyak won gold at the Rio Games against Egbegnenu. And she has essentially been Egbegnenu's rival for many, many years with their many head-to-head matchups. But truth be told, heading into these Olympic Games, I really felt the under 63 kilo division was Agbegnenu's to lose. She's the world number one. She's the heavy favorite. She's one of the greatest of all time that I have ever seen. And the only thing that she has not accomplished in her career is winning a gold medal at the Olympic Games. And heading into these Olympics, I kind of felt that as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, that Clarice Agbegnenu was going to win this division. And it turns out, finally, I was right about a prediction. <laughs> so the action was fierce right from the onset, and both athletes were going for it uh, very early and very aggressively. And truth be told, I mean, for all the years that I've been watching Agbegnenu and I've watched their head-to-head uh, you know, many times in the past, I'd forgotten how close Tursignac and Agbegnenu are in terms of skill because I haven't seen Agbegnenu pushed in the way that Tursignac pushed her in quite some time. There was a lot of Nawaza attempts in, in this particular matchup, but, but you know, Tursignac was, was, was able to defend a lot of uh, Clarissa's attacks on the ground. And I tell you, both fighters are so close in skill that any mistake could be costly. And right around 37 seconds to go uh, uh, in regulation, Tursignac picks up her second Shido, which ultimately did not you know cause her to lose in in this contest but everybody knew this was going to go into golden score and to have two shido going into golden score boy that was just for Tursignac, somebody with her ability and her pedigree what a mistake on on her end in my opinion she just had a bad false attack and she knew it right right when uh, the referee called mate 
So the contest goes into golden score, and, and, and 30 seconds into the golden score, Agbagnenu scores with a solid Koujigari with the back grip. I wasn't sure she was going to be able to turn her over enough onto her back, but surely she did. So she gets the Wazari, and she gets the gold medal. Uh, Viva la France! And there's a big embrace, you know, not only after uh, the Wazari is called on the ground by, by both ladies... Uh, once Agbegnenu was announced the winner, they they there was a big embrace in the middle of the tatami as well. It was really great to see because both fighters truly respected each other and they really gave it their all in this match. And it was really great to see this match end in a score. I I would I would have hated to see Tursen Jack pick up a third Shido and 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 lose that way. So Agbegnenu with the gold and Tursen Jack with silver, and I gotta wonder. At, at Tursen Jack's age, she's 30 years. She's 30 years old. Is this going to be it for her? I don't know if you guys noticed it, but earlier in the week, Majlinda Kelmendi of Kosovo, uh, who was bounced relatively early in these Olympic Games, announced her retirement. And Kel- Kelmendi had a really fantastic career. She's accomplished everything that one would want to accomplish in in a international judo career. And the same can be said for Tina Tursen Jack as well. And heck. I'll say here, I I wonder if Agbegnenu will hang it up as well. I mean, she's got, both ladies have nothing more to accomplish or prove. The only thing with Agbegnenu is that she's she's 28 years old and the Paris games are in three years. So I would think that Agbegnenu may want to attempt to win a gold medal in front of the whole home crowd in, in three years. But quite frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if she hung them up. What what more can she accomplish? Five-time world champion, uh, a silver medal and a gold medal in the Olympics, uh, a, a number of European championships, a number of Grand Slam and Grand Prix wins. She's one of the most decorated uh, judoka in compet- competition history. And in my mind, and I said this in my last episode, that her accomplishments in the under 63 kilo division are just as impressive to me as Teddy Renaire's accomplishments in the plus 100 kilo division. Maybe even a little more so because, and look, I'm not taking anything away from Teddy Renaire's accomplishments, but being bigger and stronger than most people you fight certainly plays into an advantage that Clarissa Agbegnenu does not have that kind of advantage in a, in a weight category that is, that is limited. It's not an open weight category. So everybody's around the same weight. Everybody's got around the same speed and size and all of that kind of stuff. So in in that regard, what Clarissa Begnenu has done in this under 63 kilo division is just truly remarkable. Now in the bronze medal contest in the under three, under 63 kilo division, the one contest was against Enriquelis Barrios of Venezuela against Catherine Boschman Pinard of Canada. Uh, Boschman Pinard uh, in, uh, had an unusual technique to get Barrio, Barrios onto her back for Canada's second medal in judo in these Olympic Games, of course. I'm not even sure what you even call the technique that she scored uh, on uh, Barrios, but maybe a modified competition version of Uki Otoshi. That's what I'm going to call it. But either way, it's a it's a bronze medal for Canada. And in the under in the other under sixty three kilo bronze medal contest, you had Jules Fransen of the Netherlands defeating, or going up against. I'm sorry, not defeating, going up against Maria Centraccio of Italy. Centraccio was taking her sweet old time in this match, getting back to her position after the mate was called with her attacks. But 
I can understand that because she was probably exhausted because she was the one that was really pushing all the action in this contest. I mean, she was truly the aggressor of the two. And, and, uh, and quite frankly, I'm surprised that she didn't rack up some Shitos with some of her attacks during the, during the regulation, which by that I mean the four minutes. Centraccio was really pushing the pace in this contest, which went into golden score. Now, Franson had already racked up two Shido in regulation, and she manages to rack up a third Shido in golden score, thanks to really Centraccio's relentless, relentlessness. Centraccio was coming into these Olympics, I believe, the 27th ranked judoka in that division. And she earns a bronze medal. And boy, the, the emotion from her was just um, really was understandable. This performance by her reminds me of Fabio Basile's performance in the you know 2016 Rio Games. And what I mean by that is a relative unknown, somebody that was relatively low ranked in her division, manages to get herself into the final block to earn a gold, uh, not the gold, I'm sorry, to earn a bronze medal, which is, again, she that, that's huge for her. That's huge for somebody who was, who was, you know, ranked so low. And again, she was just so overcome with emotion. It was really great to see. Everybody was, of course, when they win a medal, but I think it's a tremendous story. Now, moving on to day five. Now, I got to admit, I missed the under 70 kilo uh, women's division. I, I really feel badly about that. I have not been able to watch the replay as of this recording. As I mentioned earlier, most of these days I've managed to watch them live except for for day two. I had to watch a replay and I just didn't wake up in, uh, in time to watch the under 70 kilo uh, bronze medal matches and gold medal matches. But I was awake for the under 90 kilo gold medal match which featured Lasha Bekauri of Georgia, hopefully I got that name right, against Edward uh, Trippel of Germany. Now, quite frankly, this was a final that I would have never predicted. And and it's, ama- it's amazing to me for Trippel to be in this position. He's ranked number 15 in this division, which is a, I mean, that's in the grand scheme of things, that's a pretty high rank to be 15th ranked in the entire world. But at this level for these Olympic Games, I would, I would have never picked anybody under uh, under the top 10 to be in the final block. So so for him to be in this position is 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 really a fantastic thing. I am seeing a lot of reverse Sayanagi in this Olympics, but especially in this contest. But of everybody that I've seen do the reverse Sayanagi in these Olympics, uh, Odette Yofrida of Italy has the best one that I've seen. Now, Becca Ruri uh, gets a really huge Ogoshi, and I thought this would have been called the Nippon, but it was not. It was called the Wazari. Triple is stuck in Osaikomi, but he manages to get out. Uh, Becca, Becca Ruri is, is trying to run off the clock, and he earns a Shido holding off Triple with 19 seconds to go. He can give up another one at this point if he wanted to to run the clock out. And Lasha Becca Ruri is your under 90 kilo uh, Olympic champion. And, and again, I got to say... Like, like like I said, this was not a final I would have ever predicted. I sur- I was for sure expecting either Sharas Dishvili of Spain, Christian Toth of Hungary, or or uh, Noel Van to end of the Netherlands to be in this final block. At least one of those gentlemen, and neither of them were. So this was this was a nice surprise to see. Now I just mentioned Christian Toth. Um, he was in the bronze medal contest uh, against Golnikov of the. Russian Olympic Committee, the Rock, 
Now, before I continue breaking out of this match, I wanted to point out that on this particular day, it was not Neil Adams uh, making the call. I had switched from look, watching the Japanese uh, telecast to, to the Canadian one because I, I, and I used a VPN, ha ha ha. But uh, it turns out Josh Hagen, who I'm somewhat familiar with, he's got the, the Art of Balance Dojo uh, website and Twitter account. He's posted on Reddit quite a bit. He's he's a really really good coach for 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 Canada, and he's a very good announcer. I got to hand it to you, Josh. Well done, well done throughout these Olympic Games. I I listened to you a couple of times. I doubt you're listening to this, but I'm sure it'll get back to you. So well done. I I I, I thought you did a great job. Um, but moving on to the actual match. Now a bit into the match, Christian Toff goes for a Kataguruma slash Yoko Otoshi. But Egolnikov counters him for what I would have called the Wazari. It's under review at this point, but I really think it should be held up. But it wasn't. It was waved off to my surprise. I'm not sure why. That was one of those questionable calls to me. I wouldn't go as far as saying a bad call, but it, it, it was close, obviously. The match ends up going to Golden Score, and Toth, uh, Christian Toth gets, gets what I think should be a score with a Sayoyatoshi, it goes to review, but this one should score in my opinion. And I was surprised once, I was surprised again, no score on that Sayoyatoshi throw. And this ends up one of being one of these matches where the refs are really letting them go. And I love seeing that in, in any metal contest because Toth goes for a throw, just kind of drops to the ground. I thought they were going to get a call, get the Shido call there, but the refs don't call it. I, I, I like that. But what I don't like is when the passivity is quite obvious or the false attacking is quite obvious. And I kind of feel on Igolnikov's part, he really hasn't been engaging in this golden score for nearly three minutes, in my opinion. And Toth finally gets a score with a huge effort on a Sode Surikomi Goshi. Excellent finish to this match. It was really, really awesome match to watch. Now, in the other bronze medal contests, I got to admit to you guys, I missed it. The contest featured, featured Davlat Bobanov of, of Uzbekistan defeating uh, Mikhail Gank of Turkey with a beautiful uh, Tayatoshi. I did see the highlight. I just didn't watch the match live. So I don't know how this match unfolded and what it looked like, what kind of drama was there. But but clear Ipon victory for Bobanov and he earns the bronze medal. I'm sure he and his countrymen are very proud about that. Now, in the under 70 kilo gold medal contest, you have Arai Chizuru of Japan defeating Michaela uh, Polaris of Austria. In the bronze medal contest, you have Sun uh, Van Dyke of the Netherlands defeating Giovanna Sokiomaro of Germany. And in the other bronze medal contest, you have uh, Tima, uh, Medina Timazorva of the Russian Olympic Committee defeating Barbara Matik of Croatia. Now, as I said before, I did not watch the under 70 kilo division, but quite frankly, I am not surprised in the least to see Arai uh, Chizuru ending up uh, with the gold medal here. Moving on to day six, which featured the under 100 kilo and the under 78 kilo divisions. Now, I'm going to start off with the under 100 kilo gold medal uh, final between Aaron Wolf of Japan versus Cho Guham of Korea. Now, I... Many of you know that I t- tend to take notes not only for my interviews, but I also take notes during matches. 
I, I what I typically do is when I watch a match, I I will type uh, kind of what I'm seeing and my thoughts as the match is unfolding, and then I just kind of sum it up. Uh, you know, when I'm actually doing the podcast episode, I type around probably probably close to a hundred words a minute with mistakes. So really, as soon as I think something, I just it it appears on the screen, and it makes my job doing this podcast a lot easier. But I'm gonna do this time though is I'm going to read to you guys verbatim <laughs> my notes for this particular match because after reading it back, I kind of thought it was humorous. Maybe you guys won't find the humor in it at all, but I'll, I'll just read it note for note. So starting off, I really thought it was great to see Wolf in this final. He's been one of my favorites for many years to watch, and I wasn't sure if he was going to have competition rust. He's not been competing on the tour a whole heck of a lot over the past couple of years. And I thought that maybe he would end up in the final block in in a semifinal or or maybe a bronze medal match. But here he is uh, going for gold. And I, and I don't say that because he has some kind of, you know, that, that I didn't think he could do it. I just thought he just had been away from the competition pretty far. Uh, it had been a while since he competed uh, with any consistency. So here's my thoughts verbatim as a, a, a by bullet point. Boy, I love seeing finals matches where the skill gap is infinitesimally small, and this match is no exception. The match goes to Golden Score, and Wolf is really putting on the pressure, and Cho gets his second Shido. Getting a third Shido is as important for Wolf as getting the score at this point. Wolf is called for blocking. Great strategy by Wolf as he's likely getting away with it all match. Hey, it's only cheating if you get caught. Now, and as a side note, what was going on is Wolf was preventing Cho from getting a grip on his lapel by by not only keeping the referee to his back so that the ref wouldn't see it, but he was just really making it difficult for Cho to get that lapel grip. You can't you can't actively defend your lapel grip by keeping by keeping your hand on your own lapel and keeping it away like that's what that's what Aaron Wolf was doing this entire match. And quite frankly, as I look back at some of the matches, I think the entire Japanese team was doing it. And, you know, like I said, it's only cheating if you get caught, right? So at this point, it's two Shido apiece. And this match is really something. This is what I would expect a final to be. If Cho doesn't do something, he's going to lose to Wolf. And Wolf is really putting on the pressure. But Cho finally attacks. I have to think he's close to his third Shido. Wolf is putting on the pressure and Cho attempts a weak Sayanagi. Here comes a third Shido, but no. Now, I thought for sure in the next exchange, a Shido is going to be called again, but no. And here's my note here. The MVP so far of this match is is referee Vladimir Natsubitse. And in my opinion, this is exactly how a finals match in the Olympics should be called. And yes, I know it's not only him making the calls. You've got the referee table on the side as well. But this entire referee crew is handling this this match correctly. So here it is. Next bullet point. Okay, with 4, 50 seconds, four minutes and 50 seconds into, into golden score, here comes the third sheet. Here comes another Shido. But no, not again. He keeps them going. Natsubitse, the referee has a real flair for the dramatics because right as I as soon as I think he's going to call the third Shido and point to somebody, he says Hajime. And quite frankly, this entire referee table, this entire crew, they've gone from being my own personal MVP to my own personal hero. 
And these these gentlemen, they're the heroes we need and not the ones that we deserve at this point. Just great way to call this match. And the reason why this was a great way to call this match because it lets the competitors decide it. At 5 minutes and 35 seconds in the golden score, a massive Ouchigari by Wolf for Ippon. Wow, just wow. I love seeing Wolf get the gold here. I love seeing the referees let the players decide who is going to get the gold medal. And I love that Ochigari attack. It is a massive throw. This isn't one of those, oh, I'm stumbling to the rear. I fall on my butt first and then continuation onto the back. No, this is just just a bone-rattling, body-shaking Ippon. Just an amazing match. One of the best that I've seen. In quite some time. Just just the, just the drama was just unbelievable. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time for this one. And on an interesting note, this was Japan's first gold medal in the under 100 kilo division since Inui won it. Alright, so moving on to the under 100 kilo bronze division. This was a really interesting match too. Uh, Jorge Fonseca of Portugal versus Shady El Nahas of Canada. And my initial impressions of this match is that the speed that these guys have at the under 100 kilo division, it's just unreal. It, it, it really is. Now, in the early going, it seems like Fonseca doesn't have the same fire that I usually see out of him in, during his matches. And I have to wonder if it's because he wasn't able to dance off the tatami with the gold medal today. I thought it was going to be Fonseca being one of the gentlemen in this in the final contest. So his body language out there doesn't look very enthusiastic. And I must say that El Nahas is dominating Fonseca in the first 2 minutes and 30 seconds. However, it's almost as if Fonseca was doing a rope-a-dope made famous by Muhammad Ali because Fonseca really picks up the pace in the final minute minute and 30 seconds, but he's in danger of getting a second Shido. And it just... it, it's almost like night and day between the, the first half of the regulation and the second half of regulation. Fonseca with the Seoya Toshi around 30 seconds uh, left to go in the contest and he manages to get a Wazari. And that's going to be enough for his bronze medal. And sadly, you know, and I, again, I, I said this before, El Nahas just looks really devastated. Uh, but he helps up Fonseca off the tatami. He's a good sport about it. Fonseca doesn't end up dancing off the map, but you know what? I would have been okay with it if he did. Now, in the other bronze medal contest, you have uh, Niaz Ilyasov of the Russian Olympic Committee against the great Varlan Lipertiliani of Georgia. The first half of this contest really gruels along. Both guys are working hard, but not really seeing much in the way of offense. But they really aren't doing anything that's deserving of a Shido. Now, with about 35 seconds to go, Eliasov does, does not get a score on a throw that I thought he should have gotten the score on. It does go to review, and, and sure enough, the referees on the side, uh, the officials on the side, do call it, and he does get the Wazari score. And I, that's going to be enough for a bronze medal for him. And I must say, I was a bit surprised to see Eliasov win this, and he was really overcome with emotion. And that's not a knock on Eliasov, it's just... You know, when you have such a legendary Jujoka like Varlam Lepertiliani, you kind of expect them to win. And and this time, it wasn't his day. Now, moving on to the under-78 kilo gold medal final. It was between Hamada Shori of Japan versus Madeleine Malonga of France. This was kind of the final that I expected to see in this division. Or I should say, at the very least, I expected to see one of these two ladies in the final for sure. 
Now, nine seconds into the contest, uh, Malonga has a really solid Ochigari attack, but she lands on her front, and that's where she gets into real trouble with uh, Hamada. Because Hamada pushes the action in the waza, and the referee lets them continue. And and this is a second situation, second time that I've watched in these Olympics where where a French lady is is allowing a I shouldn't say allowing, but but got caught in the waza against a Japanese opponent. So the referee is allowing Hamada work. She's working. She's working. She's working. She manages to get her leg free after after. Malonga is trying to hold her in, in, in sort of a half guard, a quarter guard-ish. But she just... but there, I, I'm surprised the ref didn't call uh, Mate here. But again, gold medal final. If the athletes can dictate how the match is going to end, let them end it. So Hamada gets her leg out and she gets the Osaikomi and she holds her down for Ippon. What a brilliant win by Hamada. And that earns, uh, up to this point, Japan's eighth gold medal of these Tokyo Games. Now listen, I'm not quite the scout that so many of you people are out there uh, when it ter- when it comes to evaluating and analyzing judo at a really deep level. But it makes me wonder if the, uh, the Japanese have figured out that uh, the French team are not strong in the waza. Now when I say they're not strong in the waza, I'm talking about relatively speaking to that level of competition in the Olympics. I'm not talking about in general that like some jiu-jitsu blue belt can tap out an <laughs> Olympian on the on the French team. It's absurd. I'm not saying that, but it makes me wonder if uh Inoue, the head coach of the Japanese national squad, uh noticed something about about that French team uh, on the women's side that um, they could come up with a game plan that they could exploit because that's at least two Olympic final where I thought the Nawaza was really pushed by by the Japanese on the French. Now in the bronze medal contest, you had Maria Aguilar of Brazil defeating Yoon Hyun Yi of Korea for the bronze medal and that earned, that gives Aguilar a medal in the past three Olympics, 2012, 2016, and now 2021. So congratulations to her and Team Brazil. In the other bronze medal contest, you had Anna Maria Wagner of Germany defeating Kalima Antomarchi of Cuba. Good to see Cuba in the final there, or at least in the bronze medal contest. That win by Wagner gives Germany their second medal in these Olympic Games, at least in judo. Now moving on to day seven. Now, I got to admit, this watching this was rough for me, not because of the judo action, just because this is seven days in a row that I'm getting up at, at 3 o'clock in the morning in order to watch judo, and it's finally, it's finally, finally catching up to me. So I'm watching this final block, but I'm doing it while laying in my own bed, and I'm taking notes on my, my note-taking app on, on my phone, so... A lot of the a lot of the details and things that I noticed about these matches, I, I just wasn't able to put them down and write them down so I could talk about it later. So my coverage of these particular matches in the final block for the plus seventy eight and plus one hundred kilo divisions may be limited. Uh, but I'll do my best to go from from memory as to what I saw, and I'm gonna start with the plus seventy eight kilo division. Uh, which the final was Sone Akira of Japan versus Idalis Ortiz of Cuba. 
This final does not surprise me at all. I knew it was going to be Ortiz in the final, and I knew it was going to be Sone in, in, in the final as well. It, this was just how it was going to go. The first two minutes of this match is both of these ladies feeling each other out, trying to figure out you know what each is, go- is going to do. The match goes into Golden Score, and Ortiz already has uh, Tushido heading into Golden Score. And I kind of felt while watching this match that there were times that I was waiting for the ref to call the third Shido on Ortiz for passivity. And quite frankly, you know, it was one of those situations where I where I appreciated that the ref was trying to let them settle this out there. But there comes a point where you got to do something out there or else you're going to get called for a third Shido. And that's exactly what happened. So Sone Akira is your gold medal winner. I believe that's Japan's ninth gold medal in these Olympics. Ortiz gets the silver medal. Now in the plus 78 kilo bronze medal match, one of the first matches, it was Irnya uh, Kinzerska of Azerbaijan against uh, Zhu Xinyan of China. I got to say the one thing that stood out to me about this particular match is these two ladies moved really well. And Kinzerska ends up getting the Wazari Awaseti Ipon for the bronze medal. And in the other plus 78 kilo division, uh, not division, in the other plus 78 kilo bronze medal contest, you had Romain Diko of France against uh, Keira Sayit of Turkey. Diko in this match ends up getting a really nice throw and then secures the Osai Komi for the uh, Wazari Awaseti Ipon. Quick match, but just a really lot good, a lot of good action in this uh, particular contest as well. Now moving on to the plus 100 kilo division, which featured Guram Tushishvili against Lucas Kripalik. That's right, Teddy Renner was not in that final. I will get to that later. But I just wanted to say that in this particular division, I thought the final was going to either include uh, Tushishvili, Kripalik, Teddy Renner or Tamerlan Bashayev. I, I I just thought it was going to be one of those two men, uh, one of those four men competing in this final. And sure enough, you had uh, two of those four uh, competing in the final. And I gotta say, for plus one hundred kilo fighters, God, these guys are so fast. And of these two, I would have guessed Tushishvili was going to come out on top of this, but no, Kapalik ends up getting this really beautiful looking Sumikayeshi. Uh, for a Wazari, and he holds on in Osaikomi for Wazari Awaseti Ipon. He is now your two-time gold medal winner and the second person to do it in two different weight divisions. And I, I, in, in, I believe in judo Olympic history. I do not remember who the first person to do it in two divisions is, but I got to tell you, I was really surprised to see somebody uh, with Tushishvili's uh, pedigree, get, get thrown like that and then get held down in Osai Komi. I would have, at the very least, imagined that if he got thrown for a Wazari, that he would have been able to do, escape the Osai Komi, but he was not able to do so. So congratulations to Kapalik. Now in the bronze one bronze medal contest, you had uh, Teddy Brunner versus... Harasara Hisoyoshi of Japan. And I got to say, I don't know if he's feeling the weight of the country of Japan on his shoulders. But man, in terms of body language, Harasawa looks like he doesn't want to be out there at all. Now, just as a reminder to you all, Harasawa versus Renair is a rematch of the 2016 Olympic game final in the plus 100 kilo division. So maybe at this point, Harasawa's just sick of seeing Teddy Renner. And you know what? I wouldn't blame him. 
The match goes into goal and score. Howard Sauer throughout this entire contest manages to rack up three Shido. And he gets the third Shido in goal and score. So Teddy Renair once again uh, wins another Olympic medal. He's got two gold Olympic medals and now he's got two bronze Olympic medals. Because he earned one in 2008 if I'm not mistaken. And in the other bronze medal contest you have Tamerlan Bashayev of the Russian Olympic Committee. Against Yakiv Kamo of the Ukraine. Boy, Bashayev is another one in this division that is so fast. Just incredible to watch. He ends up getting a Sayori Toshi for a Wazari and then a Waz- an Osai Komi for a Wazari. I would set the Ippon for the win uh, at around the 240 mark. Now, for those who may not be aware, if I didn't say it already, it was Bashayev that gave Teddy Renner his loss in the quarterfinal. And I got to say... The way Renair lost this match against Bashayev, he doesn't lose that match five years ago. There's no way. There's no way he gets thrown like that. It gets put on his back like that five years ago. This is one of these situations, in my opinion. You know, he's 32 years old. As the old saying goes, I love this saying, Father Time is undefeated. Now, I know Teddy Renair wants to get to to the Paris games. He wants to compete in front of his home country. I don't know. I, I To see Teddy Renner lose like this, look, it's a bronze medal. It's a bronze medal in the individual plus 100 kilo division. It's a huge win. It's a huge deal. But when we're talking about the most accomplished competitor in judo history, to see him taken backwards like that by Bashayev, it's just... It's almost just as if seeing the beginning of the end. I'm sure Teddy Renair is going to have a lot of great matches over these next three years. I'm sure he's going to be in the Olympics. He's he's going to make his roster spot. Um, he's going to be in the top 18. All of that's not going to be an issue for him. But can he win a medal in front of his home country at 35 years old? That remains to be seen. It'll be interesting to see whether or not Father Time is truly caught up with Teddy Renner or he just happened to have a, a, a bad day. But he was in great shape. I mean, he was probably close to 300 pounds. And we've seen Teddy a lot heavier, uh, significantly heavier. But But he looked to be in great shape. He looked to be in good form. It just, like I said, I don't think he gets thrown like that five years ago. I, I really don't. All right, so that's going to cover it for the Olympics. I am going to go into uh, covering the the team results. But I wanted to dish out some of my, my thoughts after watching seven days of judo. And the first things first is, and I know this is obvious. I, I know I'm stating the obvious here. But it's clear the emotional toll that these Olympic Games take on these athletes and the process and, and the Olympic cycle to get to this very moment, it is very overwhelming for most of these athletes. And, and I forget how big of a deal sometimes, I, I sometimes forget how big of a deal the Olympics are to most of these athletes competing on the world tour because the the emotion is unlike what you typically see at a world, at a world championships. It's clearly... It just it just goes to show you how much of a higher level winning an Olympic game is to these athletes compared to winning a world championship. And a world championship is a huge deal. But but again, I'm stating the obvious. The Olympics is just that much greater. Now, something else that I wanted to bring up, um, in my opinion, and, and 
I feel like the the Olympics were missing some some uh, key competitors, and they were missing some key competitors because of the way that the selections are made in these Olympics. And look, in my opinion, if you win a world championship during the Olympic cycle, uh, you should get an automatic bid to go to the Olympics unless you are retiring. You know, so thinking of players like. Uh, you know, Maruyami Yoshiro, mostly Japanese player, Hashimoto Soichi, uh, Asahina Sara, uh, uh, Kageura Kokoro, you know, Sunoda Natsumi, Shishime Ai, uh, all of Japan should have been, uh, have won world championships during this Olympic cycle uh, since the Rio Games in 2016. And same goes to Krista Deguchi, Alexander Wizirzak, and uh, Yves Marie Gahi of France. Um, you know, Krista Deguchi was was one that got beaten out by Jessica Klim, Klim Kate for that final spot. And I look, you, you win a world championship, you should go to the Olympics. And I'm sorry, you know, it, it's it's great to have global representation at the Olympics, but I saw a match where somebody from Palestine, he's like ranked like 437th in his division. And and he only has six points on the IJF World Tour. I don't care if you're from Palestine and you need Olympic representation. You don't belong in the Olympics at at, at that highest level in judo. You 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 know and and you cannot have people there that are so outclassed that they they just don't belong. I mean, six points on on the IJF World Tour. And, and you're getting in on the continental quota of some kind. I mean, that shouldn't happen. I mean, I understand you have to have a continental quota and you have to have representation from all nations. But but not if that means denying an opportunity for a world champion to compete. I don't know. It's, I go back and forth on that because at the same time, you can't. It, it's the Olympics. You can't have two people from the same country competing against each other in a final. I mean that that's that would that would kind of be silly as well. But honestly, I would rather see that than um than see people that have no business at the Olympics uh competing at the Olympics. I, I just I just think that's wrong. It's it's akin to if you guys remember I can't remember which Winter Olympics it was. There were some Winter Olympics where this 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 competitor a terrible snowboarder. He was. It was almost humorous to see. She she gamed the system to follow her Olympic dream. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of cool that she followed her dream. But she gamed the system to compete in the Olympic Games, and she didn't even catch air in the halfpipe event. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, she's just grinding up on the lip and and and, and coming down and dropping in and the in, into the bowl. It's just into the halfpipe. It just looked absurd. And that should never happen in Olympics, in an Olympics. Now, I was talking about the refereeing earlier, and I think overall they did a phenomenal job. There's a lot of people out there that thought they would, they did a terrible job. Some some people said that because they were being homers for their own countrymen, and I get that. I, I understand you want to be a homer, you, you know, and you know you feel that your guy got or girl got screwed over by the refs. You know that's completely understandable. In the United States, cheering against referees and booing them and complaining about referees is a national pastime. I, I've done it ad nauseum with the NFL, the NBA, 
baseball. I, I, I've done that. But by and large, when it comes to these referees, I think they do a phenomenal job. That being said, Wazari rules need to change. And look, I know judo is a hard sport and scores are very hard to come by at these highest levels. But there needs to be a better standard for Wazari. There needs to be a more simpler and consistent uh, standard for Wazari. And we're just not there yet. Uh, I feel that the definition for Wazari is too broad. And not only that, I saw throws where... See, to me, I can live with a Wazari if you just land strictly on your side. That used to be a Yuko years ago, but you land on your side, that's a Wazari. I get that. But if you land on your side, but the front of your body is what's mostly facing the mat, that should not be a Wazari. Your back needs to be angled towards the mat in order for it to be a Wazari. I mean, that that should be a simple enough change that the IGF can address. Now, speaking of the IGF, I'm going to be really interested to see how the IGF tweaks the rules for the next Olympic cycle. Even though we're only talking three years away till the Paris Games, um... And I know the IJF will tweak some of their rules, but I'm not sure what they're going to do. I know there's a lot of complainers out there saying that the judo was boring, but like like I said, if you've got a slightly critical eye and can vaguely understand the game within the game, there was a really a lot of exciting judo during these Olympics. And listen, I'm going to tell you guys this right now. Leg grabs are not coming back, nor should they come back at this level. For one... It's, it's too close to the next Olympics to make such a major rule change like that. And two, quite frankly, they don't want them. And if you think bent over, ankle-picking judo is exciting, then you're watching the wrong sport because I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think leg grabs should be in, I, I've said this for years, I think leg grabs should be in national level events and below, but for international competition, I think the, I think, the way the IJF is currently run, um, I think it's great. I, I think the rules are, uh, maybe not great, I think the rules are pretty good the way they are on the IJF World Tour. I'm sure they're going to tweak some rules. It's not going to be leg grabs. And listen, on, on the discussion of leg grabs, by the time the 2024 games come around, it's, and, and it most especially the 2028 games, the only people that on the tour that would have, that would have competed in an era where leg grabs existed are going to be the old people on the tour, the ones that are like 35 and older. Most m- most players coming up on the tour have never competed in judo where leg grabs were allowed. So to change it on them really would just almost be a disservice. And I really don't believe it would improve on what we watched in these Olympics because, again, I think what we watched was fantastic for the most part. I don't know what the early rounds look like. I didn't watch them. Like I said, I can't stay up from 11 p.m. at night to 5 a.m. in the morning, seven days in a row when I've got a full-time job and full-time responsibilities. It's impossible for me. And honestly, there's only so much judo I can watch in, in, in one day. I, I Even my beloved sport, the National Football League, I can maybe only watch two games before I'm tapped out. I, I, I watch the... The 1 p.m. game and the 4 p.m. game, and maybe I'll tune in for the Sunday night football, the first quarter or the first half. That's it. By then, I'm kind of tapped out unless it's my team. That That's that's the primetime team. But one thing else I wanted to discuss 
And that's for people that know people who competed for Team USA, that represented Team USA. If any of you listeners out there know an Olympian personally and they didn't do well in these Olympics or they did well or whatever the case may be, talk to them. Let them know how proud you are of them because post Olympic postpartum is a very real thing. Now, nobody on Team USA uh, managed to make it into the medal rounds, but you know what? I am proud of those athletes that made it to the Olympics and represented Team USA. Now, I know over the past almost five years on this podcast, I've I've been a little tough on USA Judo. I always meant well. I probably didn't come off the right way. I think over the past couple of years, I've become a little more mature in how I express ex, uh, express my concerns about the direction of Judo in the United States. But I firmly believe that everybody at USA Judo is doing their absolute best to put together the best squad and to prepare their athletes in the best way that they can. And these athletes gave it all uh, to represent the United States. And I'm very proud of all of you, if you're listening, which you're probably not. But somebody's going to listen and it's going to get back to you. So just so you guys know, all of us in the United States are proud of you. I will speak for everybody in this country. We are proud of your effort. And we are grateful that you've taken your lives on hold to pursue earning a medal for this country and earning, you know, and trying to be the best that you can be. And, and you guys were phenomenal to me. I, I think you guys are amazing. And, and I thank you for all the work that you did to represent Team USA in the way that you guys did. It's getting to the point where I need to wrap up this episode, but before I do that, I wanted to briefly cover the Mixed Teams event, which made its debut at the Tokyo Olympics. Now, for those of you who may not be aware, the Mixed Team event features three men and three women in the following weight categories, the under 57 kilo, the under 70 kilo, and plus 70 kilo. And on the men's side, you get the plus 90 kilo, the under 90 kilo, and the under 73 kilo weight categories. So if I remember correctly, the mixed team event was first introduced in the World Championships in 2017. And since that time, uh, Team Japan has won each and every mixed team category uh, event. But that changed in these Olympics where it ended up being France being the big winner and taking hold the, home the gold medal. Now, the French team was represented by the following athletes. Now, on the women's side, you had Clarisse Agbegnenu, Romain Dico. And Sarah Leone Sisik. And on the men's side, you had Axel Clerge, Teddy Renner, and Guillaume Chahin. And the Japanese team was on the women's side was represented by Arai Chizuru, Sone Akira, and Yoshida Sukasa. And on the men's side, we had Mukai Soichiro, Aaron Wolf, and Ono Shoei. Now, the interesting thing about this matchup, for those that may, may have missed it, is that some of these fighters have to move up in weight and some, or what I should say, this gives an advantage to certain fighters. So, for example, Teddy Renner had a huge advantage over Aaron Wolf. And in terms of in terms of size, Arai Chizuru had a big advantage over Clarice Begnenu. So, France wins and comes away with a gold, which also means that Teddy Renner gets a th- his third Olympic gold medal. Even though he got the bronze in the individual bouts, he gets the gold here. And Clarice Agbegnenu gets a second gold medal as well. 
Now, in the bronze medal contest, you had Germany versus the Netherlands, and Germany was the team that came out on top. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had Israel versus the Russian Olympic Committee. Now, this is where I kind of mentioned earlier that, that Israel got skunked in the individual competitions when it came to at least earning an Olympic medal. But here, the team of Gili, Sharir, Sagi, Muki, Raj, Hershko, Peter Polchik, Timna Nelson, Levy, and Tohar Bootbull end up being the winners over the Russian team, which featured Medina Taimazova, Mikhail Igolnikov, Alexandra Babinetsova, Tamerlan Bashayev, Daria Mezhetskaya, and Musa Muguslov. Pardon if I got some of those pronunciations wrong. So like I said, this was intended to be a quick recap of who won the mixed teams events. It was it was really exciting action. I I, I did watch uh, the the final round there, and again, I'm I just this is gonna this is getting running long, so I'm not gonna break down the action like I normally do with the individual matches. So that will wrap it up for these Olympics in judo. So in terms of the IJF calendar, the next major event is going to be the Zagreb Grand Prix in Zagreb, Croatia. And that's going to be taking place uh, the, the weekend of September 24th through the 26th. Now, I'm not going to be able to watch that live because I'm going to be in New York City that weekend. Spending time with some friends post-COVID lockdown that I haven't seen in a couple of years. And for those of you who may be wondering, well, should you be traveling with, in, during these pandemic times? I am fully vaccinated, so I'm not really worried about it. And I will continue to follow all recommended guidelines in terms of... Uh, you know, which states require, have certain requirements for masks and no masks. I will comply with all requested requirements on my trip. And now, you know, I'll be interested to see who shows up at this Grand Prix. I simply can't imagine too many Olympic medal winners are going to show up here. I would venture to guess that the only person that won an Olympic gold that'll show up at this event is Lucas Kapalik since it's in his home country. But even then, maybe he'll be like, you know what? This is just a Grand Prix. I'll skip it. So we shall see. But if it does happen, I'll be sure to cover the event, as I always do with all major IJF events. And yeah, I, I think that's going to do it for this episode. And unfortunately for some of the diehards out there, I am not going to have my after party in this episode. I'm, I'm talked out. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just I'm exhausted from talking. And I got to think this has got has become one of my longest episodes that, not, that did not feature a guest. So if you've made it this far, I greatly appreciate you listening. And if you didn't make it this far, you can't hear this anyway. So screw you. I'm kidding, of course. If you listened for five minutes, I really appreciate it that you, t- you took the time out of your life to spend five minutes with me. So before I wrap things up, if you want to send me an email... You can email me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at La Vida Judoka. That same handle will also work for Twitter as well. And if you want to follow the Facebook page, you can just search on Judo Chopsui Podcast and you'll be able to find me. And if you're daring enough, if you want to add me as a Facebook friend, feel free to do so if you can find me. And if you do find me and we don't have any mutual friends, please shoot me a message a direct message and let me know that uh, you listen to the podcast and you're sending me a friend request, that kind of thing. Because if you don't, I'm just going to ignore your friend request. You can follow me on, on Instagram and I'm not going to block you or anything. But but in terms of adding friends on my Facebook, my personal Facebook, 
I try not to add just anybody. We either have to have some mutual friends, but you got to also reach out to me or I kind of got to know you, that kind of thing. So let's see, am I forgetting anything else here? Probably not. So I'm going to end things here. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open. Open.